Thank you for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at weareradiant.com. like family, which means I get up in your business, so that's how it is, but I am so honored to be here, and I've loved getting just to connect with your pastors, with Aaron and Katie, and man, they're the real deal. You know, uh, most of my life I've lived in Los Angeles, and that's not the city of real deal. It's like fake city, right? And so I just can't even cope. I can't really cope with fake. So I just love when I meet real people, right, who are just genuine, and so how blessed are you that you're a part of this church, right? Amazing. Um, okay, don't sit down yet. Um, take a look at that person next to you. Yep, they need prayer. Okay, either that or like a cappuccino, and that's not going to happen right now. So we're going to pray for them. Um, you're going to pray for that person that you're standing next to, all right? So, Father, I thank you so much for this person I'm standing next to. And I thank you, God, that it's your purpose that's worked out in their life, that it's your kingdom that's established. And I ask God, if there's any way that I could be a blessing and an encouragement to them, that you would show me. And I just thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, now you can have a seat. Amen. Um, well, as um, mentioned, I'm, my husband and I started Oasis Church in Los Angeles in 1984, a long time ago. And um, we have two kids, my grown kids, my son Jordan, and then I have a daughter Paris, and my daughter Paris is the one that's given me grandchildren, so she's my favorite. And, and I tell my son that all the time, like, catch up. Um, and my husband and I have been married for 37 years, like in a row, okay? And um, in LA, that's like a freaking miracle, I'm just saying, right? It's a big deal. <laughs> but I love just uh, the church, and I love that I've been given this privilege to speak with you today in the middle of... The series that you're in, I love this, called Losing My Mind, and then my name is right under it. It's like on the notes that you got, Losing My Mind with Holly Wagner. But anyway, my husband would say, I've been doing that for a long time. But, all right. Okay, anybody in here ever been under pressure? <laughs> like maybe the last few years, right? Where you felt like there was so much coming against you, whether it was in your job or your family or finances, or just even having to deal with the isolation that we all had to deal with, right, the last few years, and the fear, just being overwhelmed. Anybody ever overwhelmed? Yeah. Right? Yes, of course. And here's the thing. I think that pressure is a great revealer, yeah. right? The good and the bad. Yeah. We are a three-part being. Most of you would know this. Spirit, soul, and a body. And for everything in your life, Every decision, you get three votes. You get three votes. Now, the spirit always, always, always votes the way of God. And the body always doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> it tends to vote with what feels good. And so these two are constantly at war within you, right? Because the body wants its way and the spirit wants to please God. Yeah. Well, the soul... The mind, the will, and the emotions is the swing vote, right? If the soul is damaged or needs freedom, then it votes with the way of the body and so can lead us astray, right? So that's why we have to keep our soul healthy so that it votes the way of the spirit. And we are each personally responsible for the condition of our own soul. It is not your spouse's job. It is not your pastor's job. 
It is not your boss's job. It is not the government's job. It is your job. We are each responsible for how we grow spiritually, how our soul is. And so that's why we have to do a soul check. So I love that you're doing this series because we have to learn how to navigate the life's moments, the hard. We're all going to have hard moments. Good Lord, we're living in really challenging times, but God actually put you here now. So here you go, right? So we have to learn how to navigate them so that we don't implode. How do we navigate the hard, challenging moments? Okay, there's a really annoying verse in the Bible. Well, there's more than one, but here's one. And this particular verse has never made it onto the front of a journal or a refrigerator magnet or a T-shirt, right? It's this in James 1, verse 2. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, he's talking about, you know, all sorts of trials, the job, financial, marriage problems. Yes, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And then he says, let perseverance finish its work. So then you'll be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Amen. Now, we all want that last part. Yeah. Right. <laughs> what I realize is that maturity doesn't come from how old you are. Wow. Yeah. Maturity doesn't come from how much you know. According to this verse, maturity comes from what you're willing to persevere through. And so I'm just going to suggest, let's let the pressure produce good things. In evaluating our presidents, whether it's scholars doing the evaluating or historians or just the average person, the greatest presidents in, in our history have been determined by the magnitude of the crisis during which they led. You know, George Washington for his leadership during the American Revolution, Abraham Lincoln for his guidance at a time when our country was being ripped in two, and Franklin Roosevelt for his leadership during the Depression, and then when the country was suffering, and then how he handled just the attack on Pearl Harbor and led us through that. So when we go through difficulties, we think life is terrible, and it feels that way. But I just want to suggest that it's the difficulties that these men face that actually led to their greatness. And I want to encourage you with the thought that there is greatness within you. There is greatness within you. And it will be revealed in the middle of whatever challenge you're in the middle of. Let me qualify that. Greatness, or its opposite, will be revealed in the midst of pressure. And sometimes in the, well, I think many times in the last few years, we've seen both of those. We've seen people rise and we've seen people implode. Right? Maybe not here because I know you're all perfect, but in California. (laughs) They're nuts. Now, at one point in his life, the Apostle Paul is a prisoner in Rome, and he's imprisoned for his faith, and ultimately he would be killed. But while he's there, he wrote some letters to the churches, and some of which he had started, and many people call these books, uh, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philippians, they're known as the prison epistles because he wrote them while he was in prison. Well, in the last chapter of the book of Colossians, he encourages people with three thoughts. Now, this is a man... Paul, who's lived through some extremely hard times, brutal persecution, just like pressure from every side for him. And then he ultimately ended up giving his life for his faith in Christ. So I'm thinking, we should probably pay attention to what the man had to say, right? How he handled the pressures around him. He's saying, do these three things, and that will help you when the pressure is on. So do you want to know what those three things are? Here we go. Colossians 4, verse 2. It says, pray diligently, stay alert with your eyes wide open in gratitude. Amen. All right, the first thing he mentions, he says, is pray diligently. If we want to be strong in our soul, we have to pray. Yes. Amen. 
And he's saying diligently. That, that's, that, mean, that, that word, actually, one of the definitions means devotion. He's saying pray with devotion. Okay, think of the things that you're devoted to. Maybe it's a family, job, baseball. My husband is a Yankee fan. I don't even know how to explain that to you. Yankee fan, we live in California. Anyway, Yankee fan, he's devoted. We go to games, we watch games, we have the shirts, Yankee fan. And my mom, she's devoted to football. She's a Dallas Cowboy fan. And he, look, they're everywhere. She will yell at that TV. Like she's 85 years old. She's yelling at that TV if the Cowboys drop the ball. She's passionately devoted to the Cowboys. Right? And then there are, some of you are devoted to your favorite TV show. Come on, how many of you have binged television shows? How many of you, like, at the end of it, when the episode ends, you go, ooh, another one? Come on, tell the truth, right? Come on. <laughs> You're devoted. And then some people are so devoted, you know, to concerts that they'll, they'll camp outside the gates right, in order to get the, the ticket to get in, and then, or, or maybe you camp outside department stores on Black Friday, I don't know. Or maybe you're the ones that, you know, you camp outside movie theaters, because you want, remember a movie theater? It's where you actually go into a theater, and you get popcorn, and you sit down. Anyway, I know it's old, but, um, but I remember doing that. I was so devoted. In 1980, some of you weren't born, shut up. Anyway. <laughs> I was so devoted because I wanted to get in to see the opening night of The Empire Strikes Back, right? I am a Star Wars nerd. I saw it then, and then when all the prequels came out, of course, I had to take my son saying he really wanted to see him. He doesn't really care. And um, I've seen all of them since more than once. I mean, what the heck with Kylo Ren? Anyway, so I just, I was devoted. Well, Paul is saying... That's the kind of attitude we're supposed to have when it comes to prayer, so right? Maybe, maybe you grew up in a home where you didn't pray, or maybe in your home, prayer was more of an obligation. It's what you said at dinner, right? It's something that you should do. Or maybe you struggle with what to say. Or maybe you wonder if there's words you're supposed to say. Or maybe when you pray, you just find yourself being distracted, right? We're busy. We're in a hurry. We move fast, and so maybe it's can be hard to find the space, or maybe you're a little cynical, maybe a little suspicious about prayer, because maybe you prayed for something and you didn't get the answer you wanted. And so then you're left thinking, God, why didn't you do something about that? I imagine everybody in this room has a that they prayed for. Some of you are still waiting for that. Some of you are still dealing with that. Some of you are sitting next to that. <laughs> and some of you are wondering, you know, does God really exist? Is he, is he listening? Here's the thing. If you look through scripture, regardless of what your belief is about the Bible or your religious experience, but if you just look through the Bible, if you open it up and just look through it, if you look at the stories, it is almost all a form of prayer. Yeah. From Adam and Eve talking to God in the garden and then on, the Bible is full of men and women who talked to their God, and he answered. Yeah. I mean, Moses cried out to God, and God spared Israel from judgment. Joshua's prayer made the sun stand still. Hannah's prayer was answered with a baby boy. Solomon got wisdom when he yeah. needed wisdom. Anybody need wisdom, yeah. right? Pray. Jonah's prayer brought him out of the belly of a whale. Yuck. <laughs> and then there was 10 lepers who prayed, and God healed. 
And then the book of Psalms is a book of prayers. It's, I mean, just think about David's approach. David, who wrote most of the Psalms, is, he, he says things like, help me. Listen to me. Don't be mad at me, God. And then I love this. He says, where are you? Where are you? I mean, David, David boldly went to God and told him exactly what was on his mind. At his most broken, he prayed. We don't have to be afraid to tell God what we're thinking. He already knows it. He just wants to hear you say it to him. There's nothing you can say that would offend him. And then if you look at the life of Jesus, the one thing he did more than anything else, he prayed. He was perfect, son of God. And he prayed. So I'm thinking, maybe I should do. Right? Even when the crowds were around him, we, would, we read about him withdrawing to actually go talk to his father. He believed it mattered, right? Which is why the disciples wanted to be students of prayer more than anything else. The disciples came to Jesus in Luke 11, and they said, teach us to pray. Did you know that in all four gospels, there is only one recorded request of the disciples asking Jesus to teach them anything? And it was, teach us to pray. Wow. Think about that. They saw him preach. They saw him heal people, walk on water, raise the dead, calm the wind and the waves. But not once in the Gospels do we have a record of the disciples saying, teach me to preach, teach me to heal the sick, teach me to raise the dead. No, they said, teach us to pray because that's where they saw his power came from, right? Was teach us to pray. Maybe that's where they knew his peace came from. Okay, so then when should we pray? Well, James 5 says this. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are you happy? You should sing praises. Are you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other. We don't often do that, do we? Just look straight ahead. Um, (laughs) Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. And that word healed actually translates whole. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So don't miss what James is saying here. He's saying no matter what the situation is, you need to be facing with God, talking to him. And so look at some of the scenarios that James says we're to pray. And I have some emojis that are going to help me tell this story. He's saying we're supposed to pray when we're in trouble, right? Maybe (laughs) when things look like this. It's funny, my mom thought that was chocolate ice cream. She kept sending it to me. Anyway, I know. Tried to help her out. Now, this is the only word in the New Testament, only place in the New Testament where this particular word for trouble is used. And it means suffering through tough times, not related to physical problems. So he's saying, when there isn't enough money, when there isn't enough money to pay the bills, when a storm destroys your home, James says, pray. When your friend is acting like a jerk and trying to destroy your friendship, pray. When your marriage is at a rough place, when your child is hurting, pray. When the rug is being pulled out from under you, pray. When you need help, pray. When you're confused, pray. When you're overwhelmed, pray. Okay, so we're supposed to pray when we're in trouble. And then we're supposed to pray when we're happy. Right? We teach our kids to say thank you when they receive something from someone. And that's great. We just want to make sure we actually do that. To God, he doesn't want to just be involved in our life when we're in trouble. Yes. He wants us to acknowledge him in good times. Amen. He's saying, don't forget. Don't forget. He wants us to acknowledge his blessing when he's provided it. And I imagine, anybody in here ever been blessed by God? Yes. With anything? 
right? And so he just wants us to say thank you, right? Okay, so we're supposed to pray when we're in trouble. We're supposed to pray when we're happy. And then when we're sick, right? Of course, we looked like that for the last two years, but anyway. (laughs) Now, our first, I'm just suggesting that our first response to any sickness should be prayer. I'm not, do whatever you're going to do afterwards. Take whatever medicine you're going to take. But how about first? We just come to God and thank God for healing. Jesus went to the cross to pay the price so we could be made whole, so we can pray for healing. It's biblical. Okay, so we're to pray when we're in trouble, we're to pray when we're happy, and when we're sick, and then we're to pray when we sin. I know, again, none of you here ever have. In L.A., we eat a lot, right? But what I found is so interesting is that oftentimes when we sin, when we miss the mark, we're so tempted to withdraw. Yeah. And God says, come to me. So true. Come to me. And so that's why we want to just make a decision as a church to create an environment where those who have missed the mark feel welcome to walk oh, in the yeah. house of God. Right? This isn't a place of judgment. This is a place of freedom. Yeah. Right? For you and for those people that you bring. Yeah. Right? Okay, so we're in all of those situations, we should pray. And I'm thinking that just about covers all of them. Right? So when the pressure is on, make sure you're talking to God. Come on. Okay, so back to Colossians 4.2. It says, pray diligently. Stay alert. Okay, the second thing, stay alert. Luke 12, Jesus turned to the crowd and said, when you see clouds beginning to form in the west, you say, here comes a shower. And you're right. When the south wind blows, you say, today will be a scorcher. And it is. He says, you fools, I love Jesus, you fools, you know how to interpret the weather signs of the earth and sky, but you don't know how to interpret the present times. I'm just suggesting we need to get good at interpreting the time. Now, in Southern California, where I've lived much of my life, we don't really get to experience the season. Like you, palm trees don't change colors, and I have never built a snowman on my front yard. I mean, we live in perpetual spring and summer, and I'm okay with that. Um, But... There are people, I think, who live other places who are much quicker to be alert to coming season changes. I mean, even here, you perhaps have to be alert to like hurricanes, right? Coming season changes. But people live in where there's the actual season seasons. They like winterize the garden. I don't even know what that is, <laughs> right? Or bring in the snow shovel. Anybody here have a snow shovel? No, right? But they're more alert, perhaps, to the you know, season changes. And so the, the Apostle Peter challenges us in, in 1 Peter 5. He says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Those who aren't alert. Alert means vigilant, sleeplessly watchful. Now, I don't think this means we can't ever take a nap. But I do think it means that if we actually want to have a healthy soul, if we want to be victorious, we have to be vigilant, watchful to what's going on around us and within us. You know, I'm sure you've seen those police shows on television where there's an officer and he's sitting in his car and he's on a stakeout. And the officer has to be alert and ready to, you know, catch whatever criminal they're there to catch, and they just can't sit in their patrol car and play video games, and, or they can't just fall asleep. And I'm sure in the dark, quiet moments, it would be easy to fall asleep. And I'm sure there are moments when the officer suspects, ah, he's not even coming. And I'm sure there are moments when they just want to leave, but what if they do? Then it means they would miss what they were sent for. Wow. Yeah. Come on. Maybe we are on a stakeout. Come 
We're on a stakeout. We've been entrusted with this moment in history. Right? We're on a stakeout. We can't get distracted or fall asleep. We have to be alert to what we're here for, alert to the times, alert to what's going on around us, and alert to what's going on within us, which honestly, I wasn't always that good at. Um, 17 years ago, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Kind of began a really, you know, yucky journey there for a bit. And two weeks I spent in this holistic hospital where they were, you know, treating the whole mind, soul, body, the whole thing. And it was awesome uh, and hard. And one of the things they did was uh, going to administer a stress test to determine the level of stress that my body was under. And so before we started, the doctor asked me, how are you feeling? You know, how you feel that you're doing? And I said, well, I'm okay. I mean, I know I got that diagnosis, but I'm actually feeling okay. And I have a genuine faith and we're good. He goes, all right. So he hooked me all up and then he went in the other room and they're administering the test. And then after the test, he comes back and he says, well, he said, the problem, Holly, is that the stress level in your body is as if you're staring a roaring lion in the face. He said, and the problem is that you're unaware of it. So we got to teach you how to be aware of what's going on within you. So I had some work to do. I had to learn to recognize what triggers were for me and how to actually manage that stress. Because not all stress is bad. It actually is what keeps, it's what keeps you moving one step to the next. So not all stress is bad, but I had to learn to recognize when it was becoming destructive in my own soul. So recognizing that, being alert, not just to the season and time that I've been entrusted with, but being alert to what's going on within me within me. Okay, how many of you, when you're driving, you drive, and then you get home at the end of the day, you park in your garage or in your street, and then you sit there and you have no memory of how you got there? Anybody? Okay, stop that and stay off the road, you people. Right? We just get on autopilot, and we're not supposed to live our life on autopilot. Right, because then you'll miss what's going on around you, the assignment that God has trusted you with, right? And you'll miss what's going on within you. And my kind of personality, sometimes I'm a make things happen kind of person. I can just push stuff down and get it done. And you can do that for a minute, but ultimately what's in you will come out, right? So that's why I'm just saying be alert to what's going on within you so that you don't damage people around you, yeah? And it's your job to manage your soul, not the person next to you. Not the, well, the person behind you, they're too weird. But it's not their job, right? It's your job. It's my job. Okay, back to Colossians 2. This is what Paul is challenging us with. If we're going to manage the time that we're trusted with, if we're going to be able to handle the pressure, we have to pray diligently, stay alert, and the last one, with our eyes wide open in gratitude. Amen. Let's determine to be grateful. Yes. Right? I mean, everyone wants to be grateful. Who wants to be ungrateful? Nobody. But my question is, what's your plan? Right, what's your plan to become a more grateful person? How are you going to do that? Because nobody just drifts into gratitude. So I, think, I think we have this problem when it comes to gratitude. We say thank you when someone does something for us or thank you when we're given a gift, and we should. But if we start to think that we'll be grateful to the extent we receive things or the more good things we have, the more grateful we become, then gratitude becomes a product of our circumstances. Yeah. And gratitude is always, always, always a decision of the heart, Amen. not a result of circumstances. Yes. 
Because have you ever noticed that two people can be in the same situation? Same job, same church, same school, same long line at Starbucks, and one of them is just filled with gratitude, and the other is just a whining and complaining, grumbling mess. Maybe it's because what one person sees as a right, somebody else sees as a gift. In another letter, Paul teaches us that gratitude actually is the will of God. 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Not for them. I didn't thank God for cancer, but in the middle of it, being grateful. Be grateful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. So many times, we realize a thankful heart is more than a good idea. It's the will of God for his people. So many times, I mean, as a pastor, I've gotten asked so many times, what is God's will for my life? What is his plan for me? Well, you know, step one is be grateful. Amen. Where are you? Is there anything that you can be grateful about right now? Then you're in God's will. Okay, let, why don't you turn to the person next to you and just say thank you. Now turn to your second choice and say thank you. Okay, right now, right now you are in God's will. Doesn't that feel good? In God's will. <laughs> And so I don't know what would help you be grateful or maybe it's maintaining a gratitude journal. I don't know. I have this one friend that whenever she gets out of bed in the morning, she, with one foot, she says, thank, and the other one, you. So I don't know what it is to trigger gratitude in you. But in my family, we have this jar. And Philip put this jar in our kitchen during probably what was the hardest season in my life, um, and it was probably the, well, it was definitely the hardest season in ministry. And I'd never really wanted to quit until this particular season. And um, it's maybe about eight years ago, and uh, it was brutal. And it started with the death of my father. He fell and hit his head and had a brain bleed, and it was pretty sudden. And now I was um, very loved by my father, and I'm aware of what a blessing it is to be loved by your dad. I was very loved by my father, and so I was missing him. So I'm grieving the loss of my dad, and then within days, um, Philip's identity gets stolen, and they somehow managed to get into our bank account and steal our bank account, the savings account. And um, the FBI got involved in all that, but it wasn't because of how it was done, the bank wasn't liable. Wow. So... So I'm grieving the loss of my dad, and then I'm processing just this financial loss. And then my husband gets diagnosed with cancer. And um, the treatment was brutal. And it just kind of destroyed a lot of his immune system, and so he's not really able to function. And then he gets shingles, and they say it's the worst case of shingles because of the... his immune system was so compromised and for months and months and months and months he wasn't really able to function and then my daughter uh, just makes a really stupid painful decision and so here I am I'm I'm trying to deal with the loss of my dad and the whole financial thing and then my husband I'm trying to be like a wife and a mom trying to navigate that and then I'm trying to lead a church and you know what I was I'm pretty sure I was failing all of that. Like I wasn't doing great on either one. Just doing all I knew to do, but I'm sure it wasn't measuring up. And then there were people who, to whom I had shown some grace. Like they had come into our 
church when they were like a hot mess and I had shown, you know, grace to them. And now I'm in a position where I need actually some grace and I'm not getting it. In fact, I, I got stabbed in the back, just real betrayal. And I'm a people person and... Um, so when there's a relational breakdown, it's really painful for me. And so I just sat on my couch. That's all I wanted to do, really, just sit on the couch and um, watch one more show. And I'm, again, I'm people So for me to not want to be with people, um, and I could just feel this sense of bitterness and I was getting cynical. So my husband, who's the Christian in the marriage, um, <laughs> Every marriage should have one. So he, he brings this jar in our kitchen, and he said, every day we're going to write something we're grateful for, and we're going to put it in this jar. And I said, no, we're not. And then he got these really colorful little Post-its, you know, thinking that would, like, inspire me. I'm like, no. And um, so, and I know he's going to look, right? So I go down on day one, and um, I got nothing. Nothing. I don't feel grateful. I'm, just, I'm mad. I'm hurt. But again, I know he's going to look, so I go, okay. Coffee. <laughs> That's all I got. Anybody else grateful for coffee? We can always start with that, right? And then on day two, came down, like, coffee. I'm pretty sure it was coffee for about four or five days, and then I came down and looked up looked out the window and, huh, sunshine, as if that's unusual in Southern California. Okay, sunshine. Was that for a few days. Then eventually it became my family and my home. But let me just tell you, I didn't feel grateful. I made a decision. I made a decision to be grateful. And I think it was that decision and the discipline of doing it daily for me, especially in that season, which actually uprooted the bitterness which had become a full-on tree growing in my heart. Give thanks in all circumstances. You know, when Paul was writing that, he was in prison. Not the best situation. A man named Dr. Dale Robbins writes this. I used to think people complained because they had a lot of problems, but I've come to realize they have problems because they complain. Complaining doesn't change anything or make situations better. It just amplifies frustration. It spreads discontent and discord. Complaining makes us miserable. Psalm 77 says this, I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. So maybe the fact that we're feeling overwhelmed is because we're spending most of our time complaining. Maybe that's not you. It was for sure me. Now, the Apostle Paul's life, when he's writing this, there's so many difficulties he could be complaining about. I mean, how many of us have put up with the constant stress of, you know, confusion and persecution and shipwrecks and imprisonments and beatings that left him permanently injured? His life was hard, and yet he was thankful. How? Because he learned a secret. He learned a secret. Philippians 4 says, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything, everything through him who gives me strength. Now, we love quoting that last part. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. 
But what is he talking about? What all things? The secret of being content in any and every situation. He had learned the secret of not living life based on the conditions around him. He could be content in prison and he'll be content at home. It was not based on circumstances. It was based on his relationship with Jesus. And so God is saying to you and saying to me, don't wait to be grateful. Don't postpone gratitude until you get that thing that you want or until all the circumstances line up. Don't postpone it because as soon as you get there, there'll be another long list. So also in a part of this season that was so painful, I was challenged to make a list of things that I most often complain about and instead flip it. This is my list. You make your own, right? So I wrote a list. I said, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the traffic I'm driving in because it means I have a car. I'm grateful for the spot I find at the far end of the parking lot because it means I can walk. I'm grateful for a bad hair day because it means I have hair. If you've navigated cancer, you're very grateful for bad hair days. I'm grateful for my water bill and my electric bill because it means to get water, I simply turn on a faucet and electricity, I flip a switch. I'm grateful that I live in a country where the chances of me being beheaded for my faith are fairly small. I'm grateful for scary, feel like throwing up, walk on water moments because it means I'm getting to use my faith. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for challenges in relationships because it means I have relationships worth fighting for. And today, I was very grateful for the alarm that went off very early because it means God's trusted me with another day. Grateful. So yeah, we live in a time in history that is filled with chaos and war and fear and sickness and brokenness. But God trusted you with this sacred moment in history to be his church. And so rather than being those that collapse, he's saying, can you be the ones with the healthy souls that stand strong in the midst of it? And to do that, you're going to have to pray. You're going to have to talk to God, really. You have to be alert. What's going on within you and around you? And you're going to have to make the decision to be grateful, regardless of whatever circumstances you find yourself in. And I'm just going to pray. And if I could just get everyone to close your eyes. Maybe it's just giving you your own little private moment. That's it. Just your own little. And I don't know most of you in the room, but I imagine there's some of you and you've, you're, you just feel under this pressure. Maybe it's a decision you have to make. Maybe it's a job change. Maybe it's a family breakdown. I don't know. But you're just under it. Maybe you're dealing with the betrayal like I did. I don't know. But I just want to pray for you. So if you'll just slip your hand up just so I can see who you are, I just, great, I, there's a lot of you. Father, I, I, you see these hands and you know them and I, you know the circumstances. And Father, I just pray that in this moment, 
under pressure, wherever they are, that they would sense you. Spirit of God, I thank you that you are the teacher and the trainer and the comforter and the exhorter. Thank you, Spirit of God, for your presence in their life right now. Do what only you can do, Spirit of God. Bring freedom, bring wholeness, bring wisdom. another group of people. Maybe you're in here and you've never actually received the love of God. Maybe you've never actually received the the love that came when Jesus went to that cross and he paid the price for every failure in your past and to give you a future filled with hope. Maybe you've never actually received that love. today you can. Today can be the first time you can begin to walk in the love of God. You can begin to follow Jesus and live out a life filled with purpose. Or maybe you're in here and at one point you were following Jesus, but if you were honest, you'd have to say you're going a little cold in your heart. Maybe like me, you you got cynical, just weary, overwhelmed, bitter, I don't know. But if you were honest, you'd say you might be going through the motions, but you're not genuinely following him. Jesus 100%. Kind of have one foot in and one foot out. And I'm going to pray for you. So if you're in here and for the first time you're ready to encounter the love of God, receive his love, the love that heals brokenness, the love that brings freedom, today's a new day that I'm going to pray for you. Or if you're in here and you know it's time to get back up and once again put one foot in front of the other and begin following Jesus, then I'm going to pray for you. So I'm going to count to three. And then if you're in either one of those two, you're just going to lift your hand up and you can put it down just so I know who I'm praying for. So if you're in here and for the first time you're saying yes to the love of God, or you're in here and you know it's time to get back up, don't let this moment pass you by. It's just us in here. It doesn't even matter. This is about you. It's about you following Jesus. Don't let this moment pass you by. So I'm going to count to three. One, two, three. Just put the hands up so I can see it. Great. I see hands going up all over. That's awesome. I don't know, maybe 12 or something, hand, 13 hands. Father, I see, I see their hands, but again, God, you know them. And I thank you that these men and women were brave enough to acknowledge their need for you. And I thank you, Father, that from this moment on, they're a new creation. Old is gone. A future filled with hope is ahead. So we're going to pray a prayer together, all of us. Christianity is not an isolated faith. It is a communal faith, which is actually why they have groups. Listen, I, side note, get in a group. Do, do faith with people. Jesus did life with people. He had a group. Find a group that you can discuss and work out your faith with. Okay, I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and we're all going to pray it together. And those of you that raised your hands, you're, you're believing these words, but you're going to pray it along with us. All right, let's all say it together. Everyone, Father, all of us, Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for your forgiveness. And from this moment on, I choose you. I surrender my heart and my life to Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Bless you, church. Bless you, church. Thank you for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. 
For service times or giving options, visit us at weareradiant.com.